players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Stoneforge Mystic, Stifle, Life from the Loam, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Eternal Glory Podcast eternal bleak end i'm phil gallagher joined by bryant cook and brian koval normally this is the portion of the show where i ask you all how you all are doing but like we're starting with a name of eternal bleak end so i kind of know where our starting point is already phil i am not happy to be here at all first time ever i'm still happy to be here and i like hanging out with you guys and i still love magic and generally life's pretty good but yeah the uh got some hit with some disappointing news today didn't we we did i mean let's let's do our introductory stuff and our life updates first and then we'll uh start wading through the muck that's a good um, word for it brian we'll uh we'll start with you yeah things are like i said things are generally pretty good that new job i got about a month ago is starting to pick up my caseload's filling in I actually feel like i have a job now which is like kind of a mixed bag because as a contributing member of society that's a relief but as a gamer i was getting paid the same salary for doing very little the last month so it kind of sucks that i have to work now to earn the same money when i was just getting it but <laughs> that's that was always going to happen um i don't remember if this has happened since our last episode but we got two cats like we were we were, had no pets i don't know if i announced that on the the cast or not and you did not but i saw the pictures and those things are huge yeah, uh, the the listeners won't see this, but one of them is right there, sleeping on the bed next to me right now. The other one is missing. But yeah, they are uh, fourteen pounders. One of them's almost fifteen. Holy moly! And, yeah, they're they're not fat. They're just big. Our vet thinks they are part Norwegian forest cat, which is one of the the larger like Maine Coon esque breeds, and. We we googled a uh, brown tabby Norwegian forest cat cross mix, and you could play like the office meme of they're the same picture because it's just my boys. We got two of them. They're seven years old. They're big. They're friendly, and we love them. And I don't remember life without them at this point. And th maybe that's corny, but I'm into it. So that's a giant joy source of joy in the house. Is every time I see them, I'm just like, oh yeah, we have cats now. That rules. Yeah, having pets is great. Highly recommend. Yeah, we, my girlfriend and I are both pet people. We both grew up with pets. We love pets. It was just we were in sort of a lifestyle situation where I was traveling for magic a lot or like she likes to ride horses. So a lot of her free time is at the barn, which is an hour away. So we were both like out of the house for large chunks of time, which felt irresponsible to have pets. And then we weren't really in a financial situation where if something dire happened, like if one of them, I don't know, like got cancer or something and we had to get pet cancer treatment, we wouldn't have been able to really afford that. So 
all of those things are resolved and we now have the pets and we are responsible pet owners. So I like both cats and dogs. We have a dog. My wife would like cats, but she has this rule that the next dog is not allowed on the furniture or the bed. I'm like, well, you can't get cats then because like cats destroy furniture anyway. So like, it just doesn't make sense. So I don't know if we'll ever have cats if she's going to stick to that rule. Yeah, and you can't get them declawed anymore. Like, that was normal when I was a kid, but it turns out that's just horrible and abusive. <laughs> You're literally yep. amputating the cat's natural defense mechanism for human convenience, which when, once you phrase it like that, you're like, oh, God, why why would people do that? We're monsters. So uh, both my dudes have all their claws, and it is it is a thing. Like, we have this, like, cat pheromone spray that we spray things we don't want them to scratch it has like a calming effect where they don't go after things with the pheromone spray on it uh we also have some good old-fashioned uh behavior intervention where we just shriek some loud noise at them if we see them scratching something they're not supposed to and we like pet them and coo at them and give them treats if they're scratching the things they are supposed to so just classic behavior intervention on top of some chemical help and it's not perfect, but they haven't actually destroyed anything yet. Phil, what have you been up to? Um, So I went out of town for a wedding last weekend. It was kind of something that I was on the fence about doing, you know, because pandemic and whatnot. But I decided like, ah, eh, the wedding's outside. I'm I'm good with going. Um, And that was that was many. That was a nice little mini vacation for me. Got to meet up with some people that I hadn't seen in two, two and a half years. Um. So that was really nice, and I'm also planning on going out of town this weekend. I rented a an Airbnb, which is out on a farm. Um, I'm going up there with a handful of close friends to celebrate the girlfriend's birthday and just kind of hang out. That sounds nice. great. It, it, it is. And then I realized, like, oh, I've gone out of town two weekends in a row. <laughs> oh, my poor backlog. It's gone. <laughs> so... This week is going to be stressful to get all the uh, videos recorded for next week. Yeah, part of my new job, my new lifestyle is adjusting to the fact that I don't need to carry a huge backlog anymore because I don't work nine to five. And I haven't had a backlog in three, four weeks now. I really have been recording Monday for Tuesday's video a lot of the time, like just the day before skin of my ass. And the part of me that is used to working nine to five Monday through Friday is like, this is unsustainable. You maniac. You got to like, just dig in one weekend, record six videos and, and get a buffer. And then the other part of me is like, no, dude, this is literally why you took that job. <laughs> just relax. It's fine. You have the time. And uh, just def definitely uh, reconciling those two feelings in my head is one of my current struggles. So Brian, back when you were a backlogger, I would notice that you would post photos to Twitter of really, really sweet plays with ducks, and then the video would go live a week and a half later. So my question for you is, I've gotten to the point where I have six whole videos as a backlog. I'm quite proud of that. It's the most videos I've ever had in the queue. But I've noticed some people are not so happy that they take so long to release. Did you ever experience that? Well, I just built it into sort of like this is just how this works. Um, if specific people are like looking at your Twitter screenshots and then like mad that today's video didn't include that play or whatever, then maybe they need to chill. But to me, it was basically a promote a promotion opportunity where I just post this like turn one win with like 
mono red card ritual or like whatever the fuck you know and people would be like wow list me and like every time someone would be like can i get the list to be like yeah sure i posted it on patreon the video will be up in two weeks and like you know one out of 20 people would join my patreon and the other 19 would just wait two weeks and everybody's a winner and uh that's just i've basically fully embraced for over a year now just the full monetization grind if i can monetize any interaction i will and that's just part of me is like oh the innocence is dead of just my silly little youtube channel of me playing magic but the other part's like this is my job now and people like it and i like it and i'm gonna squeeze where i can squeeze so that's what i that's how i justified it the only part i didn't like of that story was that you used karn as your reference but i appreciate I everything know. else people love karn oh my god they you. do they really do if I have some bullshit Chalice of the Void Karn deck and there's at least three questionable like legacy playable cards that like people have to read, 8,000 views. Just yep. Videos are banger, done. guaranteed. One of my best vid- performing videos of the last month was Mono Green Painter. And my thumbnail was the Visions Art of Natural Order, but it with like the ape dead on the ground and i cropped the cheetah that killed the ape out and cropped karn into it and karn was just like bursting out of the dead ape and i got a lot of views on that and a lot of comments that specifically called out that thumbnail that was a good one (laughs) disgusting whatever maybe win before they cast their four drop (laughs) hurry up you're a storm player quit your bitching what are you up to i don't know if either one of you watched dune but I watched it once in college, the original from like 1984 or whatever. I'll be honest, we had been drinking. I don't remember the movie that well, but the hype around this new one is so crazy that I was like, you know what? It's on HBO Max. It's free. Let's watch it. It was a very, very beautiful movie, and I'm not trying to give away any spoilers or anything, but I felt no connection to anything that happened in it. Maybe I'm just dead inside. Too many dark rituals (laughs) in my life. I don't know, but I felt nothing at the end of the movie, and I was like, eh. It was pretty. There, I, I felt a similar thing. And I think part of the issue where it like didn't really punch for you was that you watched it on HBO Max. And that's really a theater experience. Like if you're in a place where your theaters are open and comfortable doing that, uh, it really does hit harder. Because there's a lot of like slow pans up giant objects or over giant landscapes. And they want you to like feel the vastness of everything, which you're probably not going to get on a home tv uh but but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of vibes in the movie like crazy vibes without a lot of substance you know i'm I'm like in love with the source material so i like i i own the book series that i've read a couple times and i i've watched the old 80s dune movie that sucked by the way and I, i was just so happy that they revisited the story with modern technology that could possibly do it justice. And I think they hit at least on that level, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of complaints from people who aren't as invested as me. That's like, this wasn't good. And I had my girlfriend who went in ice cold, didn't know anything about Dune. And like on the drive home, she was like asking me about like the Bene Gesserit and like Paul's family line and like, the sandworms like she wanted to know the entire extended universe on the drive home so i I had that connection like i i got to initiate an excited new person which made it better for me so mileage may vary i guess 
Yeah, I can see that. But uh, speaking of being dead inside, I've had to go back to work finally. The two of you have had to go back for some time now. I finally was forced to go back in the office. And while Ew. my coworkers are dropping like flies, uh, they're, they're all just leaving one after another. So if you're someone in a position where you're thinking about forcing people to go back to work, don't. Remote Don't you work better. a job that can just easily be done at home? Yeah, I'm a web designer. I have no reason to go to an office. Right. Yeah, it seems like the companies sort of went down one of two paths. Like my my friend Chris, he his company shut down their office. They sublet the building and they're never going back. They made that decision in like mid 2020. They were like, yeah, this works. Why ever go back? Why ever pay rent again? This is stupid. And then there's the other ones who are like, we can't wait to make our people suffer some more. Exactly. And all your coworkers are leaving to go work with Chris at home. But uh, there is one silver lining, which is when I'm driving by myself, I get to listen to whatever I want in the car. I don't really like playing heavy stuff when my wife is in the car. And every time I died, die released a new album and it is fucking awesome. So what I found is that I keep on turning up the volume while I'm driving and I end up going faster and faster without realizing it. And if you're not a fan of Every Time I Die, definitely go listen to it. It's amazing. I'm like sort of lukewarm on some of their other albums other than the first one. But this one, even critics that had formerly like ripped them apart, love this one. So definitely check out Radical. It's amazing. I was super into Every Time I Die circa 2004, probably. And I was surprised to see you posting that they had a new album in 2021. I have had no contact with that band since the mid-2000s, and I was like, oh, wow, they're still around? Well, the album you're familiar with is a banger, and everything else since then is, like, decent, and then this new album is on the level of the first one. All right, well, sounds like I made the right call ignoring them for 15 years then. I'll circle back for this new album. All right, so we should probably uh, get into the donations, right? Sounds good. All right, Henrik Korkutz, thank you for your contribution. Tanner Hickman left a note with their donation, Phil. I believe that Phil's the person holding this up at this point. Tanner would like, um, Brian, what is, uh, McBat Commander, did I say it correctly? MC Bat Commander. Yes, to do an intro with their contribution to our podcast so maybe it will happen in the future with phil's blessing if it doesn't you can tweet at phil uh jacob hessen kunz thank you and then mac hatbert i can't talk right now matt hackbert thank you um we also want to take an opportunity to give a shout out to joe dyer and the rest of the uh legacy data crunching community for all their uh continued work um some of our podcast episode and many uh, legacy articles that exist uh simply wouldn't have the data to talk about things intelligently and at least somewhat using statistics without uh that work so uh keep up the good work people and phil what's going on in magic land i have some cool things on youtube or at least that will be live on youtube by the time this reaches your ear holes um i had a very strange dnt league where in addition to the deck list i was also given a bounty it was an urza saga dnt deck list that also had Zurin Orb and Pacification Array in it. And I was told that if I could win a game and either sacrifice some of my lands to Zurin Orb before the final turn of the game, or if I could win a game where I used a Pacification Array, they would donate an additional time. 
that league is rather silly. And if you have seen my Twitter screenshots involving Emrakul and a pacification array in an absolutely absurd board state, um, that's where it's from. Uh, highly recommend the final round of that video. And I also played an eight cast league, uh, which is the Thought Monitor Thought Cast uh, blue deck that's been running around with things like Emery and Psy. Um, and that deck is really, really good. Um, and when I made the thumbnail for that video, I just said, like, best post-ban deck list question mark? Because that deck felt just absolutely amazing uh, just first time playing it. Like, it was a very easy 4-1 uh, deck was just incredible. Yeah, the Urza, the Urza Echo, like, Blue Echo, I'm I'm not sure how much of the original, like, Urza Echo shell remains in the 8-cast shell now. There's a whole spectrum of what you can do with that base shell at this point, and everyone's a little different spot on it. But I remember that being, like, the heir apparent when uh, Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist were getting banned. People were like, oh, this Urza Echo deck's on the edge. It's about to pop. We just got Hull Breacher. Like, it just needed the room to breathe. And then MH2 made sure that didn't happen but that deck is extremely powerful and always lurking just below the surface i was going to comment it's interesting how hull breacher isn't in that deck even though it is an echo deck and honestly i've been seeing less and less hull breachers recently so it's kind of interesting to just think about yeah i i feel like i don't see a hull breacher until i say on camera okay i'm not gonna play around hull breacher here it's very uncommon right now and then i'll brainstorm and it's like Son of a bitch. There it yeah, is. Hall, Hall Breacher is like the Candyman or Bloody Mary or Beetlejuice or like whatever name you invoke and then they appear. Hall Breacher is the same. I got bodied in a local legacy event recently by a Hall Breacher. It was not ready. There is a clip that I uploaded to Twitter where I said, Anurag's latest pile doesn't play Hall Breacher. I'm going to end step brainstorm. And sure enough, my opponent fetches twice, puts Hull Breacher on the stack. I go, hmm, I guess I should cycle this Veil to see if I can spike a Dark Ritual to cast this Ad Nauseum. Hit it, lose my shit, win the game. And That was uh, a great clip. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. It's rounding like seven or 8,000 views right now on Twitter. I'm like, oh, why didn't I upload this to YouTube? But still pretty sweet. Yeah, um, a lot of smart magicians have been working on the eight cast deck uh you know bob very notably um spent a lot of time working on this i am very excited to see where this deck list can go i mean we'll probably delve into this in a little while but ba bands are are imminent they're just not happening now now yeah that's a definitely a contender to keep an eye on i, I want to call this a blue deck like a non-blue deck like it's technically a blue deck it has blue cards in it but it's not it a traditional will, Phil. it plays force of will it is a blue deck it's not like a xeroxy blue deck though yeah force of will is usually the line where i call it a blue deck because there is like the mono blue echo artifact just play mystic forge play karn shred 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 sort of build which is not a blue deck it doesn't even have force of will on the sideboard it just has echo of eons yeah as it's, a blue it's, card. it's just a tiny bit wet yeah yeah, just a, a little <laughs> a little damp. Elegant terminology. Yeah, a little damp. Not not quite moist. Yeah, but for something outside of like the traditional cantrip cartel suite, um, I think like this and elves are things that I would personally be watching um if we get a when we get a metagame shut up shake up. Yeah, elves is very, very good. Allosaurus Shepherd is bullshit. 
card is Imagine, so, good. so fucked. Imagine a world where every deck got the elves' advantage of not having to play around days. Gasp. Ugh. Yeah, or Chalice of the Void. Just uh, all of like the worst things that used to exist. Just you, they don't care about anymore. And Plague Engineer is banned because black sucks. Soft banned. So uh, I've been on a little bit of a heater since the last time that we recorded. It's been a month. And the first thing that I did while in was I took second in a popper challenge before the fairy miscreant bug with cycle storm. And that video really popped off. People were like, oh, we thought this deck was a meme. And I'm playing like a bunch of bad modern horizons, two cards in it. Like, do either of you know what Dihada's ploy does? I doubt it. Nope. Is that the like uh, draw two, discard one, gain some life, jumpstart thing? It is. Yes. Yeah. Nice. You, you think you. I haven't put gifts in given in my uh, in my legacy decks before? I know about that <laughs> card. So yeah, that video did really well. And then I won a legacy challenge and then I took third in another one. So I've been doing pretty well since the last time we uh, recorded and all those videos are up on YouTube. But yeah, I went those four months in the middle of the summer without a single result. And now I'm just, you know, NBA jamming. That's hot. Uh, get get the uh, the heat check on Bryant right now. I'm I also need a heat check because I won a local paper vintage event with Paradoxical Outcome. Put a Tropical Island in my binder for that one. I won a local legacy event with Doomsday. Put a Tundra in my binder for that one. Just flexing the range a little bit. Uh, I was I was playing around with the idea of running Doomsday because all my locals know I'm on Bant. The meta's really slow. There's a lot of death and taxes. There's a lot of people tuned to beat bant mirrors and shit and i just showed up and dumpstered with doomsday i also 5 would a league with lands which is not the same as winning a dual land but that's also well out of my normal range and it feels good to put up a trophy with that and i have another local event this weekend trying to put another tundra in my binder top four all get tundras for this event so it's pretty generous and i might just play blue red just fucking is it murktide regent because if they're not going to ban this card, I should probably just go collect my free Tundra. Because our local metagame is uh, pretty... It doesn't really follow the normal trends. Like, people have the decks they want to play, and that's that. There's a few people who can move. I might expect, like, two to four Delver decks total in a field of 50 people. And I, I could just go collect a Tundra with that, which sucks. But also, I like money. Are your death are your death and taxes players locally good? Uh I mean David Lance shows up, so yeah. Okay. There is more than one completely foil, like old version Max Bling Death and Taxes deck that shows up to these locals. I think there's like three or four of those people locally, like really dedicated to the craft. Yeah. Uh the DNT is that's rough on Delver, right? Or yeah. the rag decks. Yeah. Uh, the biggest reason to play like the Yorian death and taxes pile is like you just play such an utterly stupid removal density um that it makes the the delver matchup pretty good but then you have to like worry about something like say doomsday where it's like oh god i have so few cards in here that actually meaningfully interact with what they're doing death and taxes is probably the most popular deck in pittsburgh just I don't know if it's because all of the cards are reprintable and it's a cheaper deck or people just like that style, but D&T, large percentage of our local field. How's the Elves matchup? Is that still heinous? Oh, God. Because <laughs> that's a deck I know how to play. Uh, look, it's the sort of thing where for a while I tried to just beat it 
and and then I just gave up. Like there was a while where I tried some wild shit. Like I own curse totems because I've tried to do that sort of thing. Like I've splashed for Orzov Pontiff or all or all sorts of things, and it's just kind of like I should just let this one go most of the time. Solitude wasn't the answer. You you can steal some games. Like a, a solitude can slow things down and maybe give you that one turn you need, but it's it's not great. It's not great. When Mina Harker was spoiled, a number of people messaged me saying, "Good luck dealing with eight Thalias without actually reading the card." I don't have to deal with eight Thalias, and I am very, very happy. Although Mina Harker is very sweet, and I know that our friend Andre that listens was very excited about a non-pale Thalia. Non-palia, yeah, yeah, he was stoked. Good, good for him. I hope he gets as many of those as he wants. My Twitter feed was all over the place in terms of like, "Fuck no, new Thalia! This is the worst. Everything is ruined." Or, "Oh my God, Thalia is legal in more for- formats now. Praise be." Yeah, she wasn't in Pioneer yet, uh, and she'll be in Standard for a while, too. Like that, It's pretty exciting. I'm kind of bummed that she's entering Pioneer, to be honest. Like, she go, she slides into arguably the best deck right now, which is Winota, and that deck is already a nightmare for me on Lotus Field, so I'm kind of just screwed. Yeah, that's rough to be a spell-based combo in a format where they expressly don't want spell-based combo to exist. <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> yeah ask my uh inverter of truths how they're doing so brian you mentioned uh doomsday so i recently did two leagues with doomsday one of which was my first time playing the deck and i said like i'm going to go in blind i'm going to read nothing about this deck i've never watched any doomsday coverage or anything and just see how bad it is and then for my second league i studied up for like an hour tried to learn some of the most common piles and then played and I just kind of wanted to show off like Doomsday has this reputation for being super hard to to learn and incredibly difficult. But like one hour of studying and trying to learn stuff was just an amazing night and day difference in my ability to pilot that deck. Something that I found is that a lot of players by default try to build the deep analysis pile now because it is very easy to do. But it's also just like not the correct pile a majority of the time. Like, it's really good if you have no resources, but I've seen people with just like flush hands going like, yep, consider deep analysis, flashback, whatever, and they never get punished. But if I were to do that, I would definitely get punished by like surgical or endurance, just things to watch. Yeah, more than once. I I recorded one league with consider doomsday, and then I played it in this paper tournament, and I did have one consider in the deck to make a consider pile if I wanted to. I've seen lists with like two or three, but I had one. and. More than once between those two events, I was like, oh, the hands rolled up, they're tapped out, I have double days going for my combo. Oh, fuck, cracked my LED. (laughs) There goes all my protection, forgot about that. And then you have to guess, like, uh, do they not have it? Would they have fought over the doomsday if they had it? Like, can I safely just go now? Or should I try to turn this into a slow pile and maybe lose to a different card that I can't daze? And... Yeah, definitely. Mistakes were made. I did not play perfectly in the tournament that I won, that's for sure. But the deck was powerful enough that I was able to get away with it. I made a very embarrassing Doomsday pile. I was super stoked because like, I had figured out how to do a really good consider pile uh, with my LED that I had in hand. And 
about halfway through my turn, after I had uh, already resolved the Doomsday, I realized that there was an Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn, in my hand from the Sheldock Isle Emrakul uh, transformational sideboard thing. And I went, oh, fuck. I know where this is going. And realized that I just had no way to win the game anymore after doing that. It Whoops. was so embarrassing. One thing that I've noticed is some Doomsday experts are actually moving off Sheldock Emrakul because people like Brian and Honorog keep on adding Wastelands into their five-color control decks, making that plan a little bit worse. Hell yeah, you'd yeah, a dick. That came up multiple times in the league that I recorded, where it was like, man, I want this Emrakul, but this greed pile has everything. Yeah, and I mean, that is the cart following the horse. Like, Doomsday put this unbeatable land in their sideboard, so we had to beat a land. Like, uh, playing, adding Wastelands, like, Doomsday was unintuitively one of the matchups I was targeting by adding Wasteland to my control decks. It's also a reason to have Teferi in your deck. Shelldock Isle doesn't work with Teferi in play, by the way, listeners. I didn't know that. Yep. Because it works the same way as like Isochron Scepter or Bring Delight, where casting the spell is part of the resolution of the first spell, and you can't cast a spell while a spell's on the stack. And so Teferi just hard shuts down Hideaway, among all the other things that Teferi shuts down. The more you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is something we've probably said on the cast plenty of times, like, but all of us have been playing Legacy for, you know, eons at this point, and we still learn stuff about, like, rules interactions every, every week. Like, there's a lot of times where I'll be, like, talking through some line in a video, and then I'll just be like, wait, do I know how this works? This super fringe interaction because I'm playing these two unplayable cards together. How is How is this supposed to work? So I re uh, recorded Solidarity, or not Solidarity, uh, what is it called? Spiral Tide, and it published today. And in my round number five, Marcus's list had Teferi's Realm in it. And Teferi's Realm <laughs> says, name a card type, and you pick creature, artifact, land, something other than enchantment, I don't remember. But when my opponent's artifact thopter tokens didn't fizzle or phase out, I was like, oh, this must be bugged because they're an artifact and it's an artifact card type. Well, my comment section was very quick to let me know that tokens aren't cards, but that's not what the visions card says, but the Oracle version of the card is different. So you just learn random tidbits about legacy all the time, even if you've been playing for 20 years. Yeah. I'm looking at the Oracle text right now and it says all non-token permanents of that type phase out tricky stuff. In my in my rules of legacy video that I I released a while ago as part of a judge conference, one of the first things I say is don't trust any of the cards. None of them actually say what they do. But on Magic Online, there's no excuse, fella. That <laughs> should have the Oracle text right on it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of issues with Magic Online. We mentioned Fairy Miscreant, and they're just like waiting to fix it instead of uh, just like they banned it instead of fixing it, right? They've done so. that historically before. They've banned a card where the bug is not easily fixable. And I'm not a, a programmer or a coder of any kind, but this Miscreant bug, by the way, if you're, if you're not in the Magic Online loop, Fairy Miscreant just draws a card. It's just El Elvish Visionary. You don't need a second Miscreant, and it's completely busted, obviously. And 
like something happened in the update where that card and Dwinin's Elite also uh, counts itself as an elf to make an elf right away. So uh, less relevant, but those two cards, something was added in the last update that broke those. And they have to fix that without breaking the thing that they updated, which caused those other cards to break. And presumably, if this is like a trickle down from the top problem where a newer, more important, more relevant thing is working. And if they just like nix whatever's wrong with Fairy Miscreant, will break the newer, more relevant thing. And I imagine there's a lot to balance here uh, more than just like, LOL, just go in there and fix it, you idiots. But yeah, it is frustrating. Though I had a pauper league and I have to talk about this. It was the blue black fairies mirror. Fairy Miscreant, not a card in that list, by the way. Uh, if you are playing Fairy Miscreant in blue-black, you're cheating, because it's not in any of the stock lists from before the bug. And I ran into a blue-black Fairy's Mirror. They had Miscreants. They drew six extra cards over the course of game two and three, and I easily won the match. It's like, you cheated in a blue-black control mirror, you drew six extra cards, and you still lost. Get fucked. That felt so good. <laughs> well, I don't know if you look at like the challenge results, but the people that are like winning the last few weekends are people that are just like cheating, flat out cheating, like first, second, both running just like mono blue with fairy miscreants. Yeah. And I had, because I was like pretty aggressive in my video about that, where I was like, I, I said their username out loud, like probably 10 or 12 times. I forget what it is now, but I was like calling them out by name. And there were some comments that are like, what are you going to do? The card's broken. It's Magic Online's job to just do the cards right. If it's broken, it's not their fault for taking advantage of it. It's like, it literally is, though. I, I believe it is against it is in the terms of the service. Terms. Yeah. 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 It, you cannot exploit a known bug. Uh, e even if you didn't know about the bug, you can't exploit it. If you notice mid-match and then you start leaning into it on purpose, that's a TOS violation. You're literally breaking the rules. Sure, we want Magic Online to do its job, but it didn't. And now you're adding a card that's not in the archetype to the archetype for cheating purposes. <laughs> Miss me with that uh, gamers gonna game bullshit. That's cheating. I've had a couple of awkward times where I've started recording with a deck and I figured out mid-recording that one of my cards is bugged. That's always really awkward. I usually at that point like copy and paste something in a chat and it's like hey this is bugged it doesn't work the way it should you can file for comp for this sorry yeah i have definitely filed for comp before because i had tritosphere and chalice of the void in the same deck. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't it know sucks. It, it's so if bad if you have trinisphere in play and you want to cast chalice on one on magic online there's like a multi-step convoluted thing you have to do where you have to like put two mana in it click add one for Trinisphere, and then it'll like reset your chalice to zero and then it'll ask you what do you want the value of x to be you've paid three mana then you have to rechoose one and then you have to press done and it's like a whole thing and if you like click the wrong part of any of those branching paths like each of those is an option like do you want to adjust or cancel if you click any of the wrong ones your spell just goes back to your hand and I've definitely been completely frozen out live on camera. Just like, I don't know how to do this. I guess I'm not casting my chalice. Go. And uh, I have filed for comp for that, but I've since figured out how to do it. All right. I have a confession for the two of you. In 2017, when I got into Magic Online, I was an asshole. Uh, I knew that Leovold and Tundra's Vagony were bugged. 
And I was like, well, my opponent can just file for comp. I'm going to get my match one. And I would click on my opponent's icon. They would draw their one card off label. I would take my match one and go home. I now understand that I was a giant asshole and I don't do that stuff anymore. Uh, so, like, I do like to give some people the benefit of the doubt that said, I know better now. Maybe these people that are cheating blatantly will know better in the future. Just trying to throw that out there. And the other thing I wanted to mention was when I got into Magic Online, I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out how to resolve Grape Shot or Fosterstorm. And I just filed for comp every single time. I was like, this isn't intuitive. <laughs> if they wanted it to be intuitive, they would have made it this way. I'm just going to file for comp. And eventually, after like the seventh time, somebody sent me a how-to video on YouTube and I watched it. Yeah, good call. Uh, be careful. Don't be the Architects of Will guy. Have you seen that guy going viral on Twitter? Yeah, uh, I have. Apparently, Architects of Will, the uh, blue-black 2 artifact 3-3 hill giant from Shards of Alara. It's ETB, look at the top three cards of target player's deck and put them back in whatever order you want. Apparently, it just, if you target your opponent with it, they choose the order. So you're just, like, indexing for them rather than, like, fate-sealing them. And this person plays exclusively Living End in Modern, which this card comes into play a lot. It's usually right to target your opponent, but he targets himself because he knows about the bug, and then he files for comp every single time. And Magic Online just kick banned permanently. We're not discussing it anymore. Your account's gone. You are abusing our reimbursement system. So I I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's like, obviously the card's broken, but at the same time, like, kept smashing your head against that wall. I'm glad it's not me. I'm glad I'm not the person. I'm glad I'm not in charge of making that decision, because... I want no part of that. So the issue that I have with that is there's literally nothing lost by Wizards of the Coast for refunding this person for reporting the bug. It is on you to fix it. But also, it's all pretend wizard dollars. Like, it's literally meaningless. It doesn't hurt them or cost them anything to give out 100 free wizard bucks. Like, it just doesn't matter. I, I think I think the issue is that this person is still winning most of these games and is then trying to essentially double up on prize money. Yeah, like like knowingly playing for free on this like it is it is technically better to check your opponent's top 3 cards, make sure they're not going to terminus you after the living end or whatever. It is technically better, but irrelevant a lot of the time or tertiary like not completely relevant. It's not part of the main plan. It's just like a little little cherry on top of your Sunday after you've already eaten your Sunday and just get playing for free for months or however long they were doing this like deck specialist playing only one deck refunding every league i can see where watsi wouldn't want to fuck with that but at the same time like it's their bug they should fix it yeah it it's tough but also couldn't they just be like hey we know that you're aware of this bug you've reported it we are no longer reimbursing you but they don't need to ban the person. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's it's the same uh, like as the tournament policy, like the uh, bribery and wagering, where it's like this is zero tolerance. Like I don't care if you knew the rules or not. If you try to bribe, you're gone. And like there there's some things like like I I think their reimbursement system, for what it's worth, is extremely generous. Like I've never I, I been do told well. no. And like sometimes it's a small thing, sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes, like I've been reimbursed when I'm just wrong, 
like that infamous like uh realm walker eldrazi league that i played where <laughs> realm walker is not supposed to get the eldrazi discount because it's not colorless i got comped for that no questions asked like i think they're really generous about yeah give you, you the benefit of the doubt here's your money back uh so just slapping them around for that and increasing your net worth on it uh, i have a sidebar it. question would you prefer if you got reimbursed faster and didn't get a silly email about being on a pirate ship and, you know, Dominaria or whatever? Or do you like getting these crazy, silly emails that took them 15 minutes to write, but then you get your compensation 24 hours later? Some of, some of these people know who I am and, like, refer to me by name. I think it's super dope. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I d have never opened one of those emails. I just see that the play points are back in my account and delete the emails without reading them. So they're, sorry, they're so cringy. I get uncomfortable. I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of fun. Like you get some good Twitter screenshots for it. Like the the person who filed for reimbursement because their opponent had turned to pack rat and limited. And, and like the the Watsi orc, I don't know if they're still called orcs, but the customer service rep, the the email was like, "Well, we don't normally offer reimbursement when people play legal cards in a limited format, but here you go." <laughs> and that that was fun. All right, should we perhaps talk about uh, this other format that kind of sucks right now? All right. Uh, do we have to? I mean, it's just an idea. There's like an event in a couple weeks. Some people care about it. Yeah, but we made okay. it 40 minutes without talking about Legacy very much. We're doing yeah. so well. Fuck that shit. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, go, go ahead. I guess I'll, I'll set it up. We're talking about Eternal Weekend, of course, which to me is the most important tournament of the year. It's my favorite tournament of the year. Like more than the Legacy Grand Prix of the year, more than... Like, basically, the events I try to make it to on any calendar year when it's normal non-COVID times are I try to queue for the Star Seed Invitational, and I make it to Eternal Weekend. And those are the things that, at the beginning of the year, I know I want to go to whenever they happen. And this year, uh, last year, it was online due to COVID, and this year, it's still going to be online due to COVID. Last year, they announced a full weekend of Legacy. Uh, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, the time zones or, or the start times make sense broadly for like in Asia, Europe and North America, or I guess South America as well, hemisphere uh, start time. And they do the same thing for vintage the following weekend. Last year, I set a crazy sleep schedule, bought a bunch of caffeinated snacks and played all six events and reported them live. And I had a fucking blast. It was so much fun. And this year, I'm going to skip two of the legacy ones. Uh, there's a local event in Columbus, the Buffalo Chicken Dip Open or something. Uh, and they're running their own little Eternal Weekend thing. I'm just going to go to that instead. It's not the real thing. The first prize is like a Mox, uh, Mox Diamond versus a you know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollar painting, which I want more of, but it's just like I I care more about the gathering than the magic at this point when it comes to legacy, because I don't think this format is super interesting on on big scale. I love firing leagues and just 
trying all the goofy shit you can do where people aren't really playing Delver a lot anyway, but in big important Swiss tournaments, I really don't want to go into the the is it Delver meat grinder three times in a weekend. I'm certainly not gonna miss sleep to do it. That's how I'm feeling about Eternal Weekend right now. I was super excited about Eternal Weekend when I thought we were going to have bands and I was going to have a new format to explore. And like I had kind of like blocked off that weekend in my head. Like, okay, like this weekend's dead. I'm just going to play Legacy. And now like I straight up haven't decided if I am going to play in Eternal Weekend. Like maybe I'll I'll play one of the vintage ones for fun because I enjoy the format a lot. But I am I am just not stoked right now like the the leagues that i'm recording for my weekly content are fine for me i don't feel like i want to play more which is just sad have we actually covered the fact that wizards like we didn't actually say what wizards yeah i was just gonna correct yeah yeah Yeah, let's let's talk about what we're talking about here today at roughly 12 p.m est wizards announced that there will be no changes to legacy before eternal weekend which means ragavan will be legal and this was after three weeks ago tweeting that we are looking at Legacy and considering the health of that format. Or they made some sort of cryptic, like, well, we, we're looking, just so you know. Our eyes are on it. Yep. And we don't have we a can... timeline, but it's being discussed. Right. And we, the Eternal Glory podcast, skipped a week because we thought we were going to be recording and re- like releasing a uh, a cast on friday just to have the format changed on monday and we were like let's just skip this week uh we can't put out relevant content with a ban imminent etc well two mondays have passed since then and we skipped that episode for nothing we've been told officially at least through eternal weekend there will be no changes to legacy or vintage and that's why we're all so dour right now so there's there's kind of two sides to this situation for the people who are want to testing and they want to like lock in their 75s and they maybe, you know, aren't super familiar with the format or whatever, they know there's not going to be any shakeup and they can just kind of continue testing as is. But um, th- we're currently in one of the largest periods of burnout Legacy has seen in quite some time. I can't say in years because, well, we like we had that companion era and we had like Oko Uro mush. Um, so like legacy has been fighting burnout in stages quite a bit for about the last three years i'll say um, about the oka oko dreadhorde era at the end i started to believe that they weren't going to change it i really did i was like they're just not going to fix this at least with ragavan i knew at some point it would be fixed it's just like it's too good to actually be legal forever yeah so like just not using hard data here or anything but just giving you a feel for like the the burnout the Saturday challenge has not fired in about two months, and the Sunday challenges have been barely firing, like f- firing at like absolute min numbers, and sometimes someone joins with a burner account just to get it over the line. I have actual numbers on the last four just because I've played in them. Three of them have fired with exactly 64 after the initial start time. One fired on time with 65, which is one over. Yeah, um it's it's been it's been rough uh anecdotally a lot of my legacy videos on youtubes have been doing a little bit less good than normal like my my numbers are 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 fine but 
normally in a week, I'll have a whole bunch of videos that will sit at like number one, number two, or number three for a while. And recently, it's been more like, oh, it's a new video. It's sitting at 6 of 10. It's sitting at 7 of 10. It's sitting at 5 of 10. Uh, the excitement for Legacy is uh, it's not there right now. Yeah, I found that people are still kind of excited about novel stuff. Uh, like, Teferi Stasis was a banger. Uh, Solidarity High Tide was a banger. Like, people still like the cool things Legacy can do. But they don't really care about the competitive echelon, like the the Delver lands, elves, D and T, like that sort of true competitive, uh, strategic content. It like it's it's not fun, and like it's been unfun for a while, and the format has felt pretty solved for a while, and a solved eternal format is a problem. Like there should be a moving metagame and there should always be an answer because the card pool is magic the gathering there should be something to help us out here and if we're not finding it that's a problem uh but people still like the goofy stuff and they're just sick of sick of ragavan they don't want to see it so reading some of the conversation that happened today about you know no changes until after eternal weekend two and a half weeks out is that enough time and to me, it's more than enough time. Two and a half weeks is a whole lot of time. But there's people out there that are convinced it's not. Wizards has uplifted entire formats with two and a half weeks before Pro Tours. Oh, and yeah. I, I know that they've done it for Legacy because GP Flash was three weeks out when they made a rules change to how cards worked. Just an entire, like, rules change where, you know, we're reverting. There's no uh, errata fix anymore. All of a sudden, Hulk Flash was the best thing. I understand that was, like, a long time ago, 2007. But... They've done this sort of thing a bunch of times throughout the years, and just like Eternal Weekend is nothing special. That's the big point I'm trying to make here. Go ahead and fix it. You're not hurting anyone's feelings. Just we would rather have a new and exciting format than have to play the Ragavan format again. And they're not gaining any new data. Yeah, normally the the big counter argument that I would be 100% on board with is card availability in eternal formats like asking anyone to build a new legacy deck on two and a half weeks notice is kind of outrageous but it's on magic online and entry to the tournament includes access to a god account card availability is zero problem it's like the entry is what 25 35 bucks and you get all cards for a month like you could be on magic you could buy your go buy your token i think today i it it's November. I, I'm not sure if it's up yet, but soon you can buy entry and then you can just play on your God account for a month and test for this event. And th like that, the, that's the major thing. Like two and a half weeks is plenty of time to get a deck together. Nobody is like going to find technology in the next two and a half weeks that radically changes anything for anyone. So uh, that I think that it would have been fine to do that this time. Also, let's not pretend that these people playing Ragavan aren't just going to swap Delver back in and call it a day. It's yeah. not like this format is going to shift a whole lot. Like, Delver's still going to be the best deck because it always is. I don't know. It's bullshit. Well, the one interesting fold to that conversation, if it was just Ragavan's the problem, nix it, they might have done that two weeks ago, like they announced they were thinking about. The fact that they're taking this much time, I'm 
not that they necessarily deserve it anymore at this point, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, or at least my my optimist heart in the right direction, that they're really structurally looking at Ragavan is a problem, expressive iteration, that's dig through time. It just It's just dig through time. That card is busted, and expressive iteration does the same thing. Merktide region, is that too big on rate? Is it too easy to get to? Uh, is Thassa's Oracle busted? Like, is Days the part of the, the glue keeping the Delver Shell together? Maybe they're taking like a big, deep, fundamental look at how to not have this conversation in another six months. Like, we've been just kicking it down the road for the last three years. I would love if that were true. Cutting in with a couple of things. First, uh, for anyone listening, the tokens are available starting on the 15th november 15th and you gain access to the cards until december 1st uh so you get you know sweeping access to everything for 16 days aren't the events on like the 19th if i remember correctly uh yes well yeah, the and then vintage one. is the following weekend which uh also since we're complaining in general i think we've been pretty reasonable but uh it, another reasonable complaint Legacy Eternal Weekend is during Magic Fest Vegas or Channel Fireball Fest Vegas, whatever it's called. The one of the big events, like the big event of the year that a lot of people are going to be at. The following weekend is American Thanksgiving weekend. Many people will be traveling or hosting family or or whatever, which also is a American centric view of the, the weekend. And they did put the the American friendly timed one on Sunday. So hopefully the Thanksgiving things might be wrapped up, but to anyone who is uh, hanging out with family or traveling or whatever uh, in the States, that is a rough weekend to have that as well. But legacy, it always gets bad turnouts, Brian. That's why we can't give it real events. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that, that's that been the line we've been sold for, for 10 years and we keep showing up every time there's a reason to. Um, just kind of going back to the two-week period being reasonable. The people who aren't going to prepare for this deck and are going to net deck anyway can just copy and paste something from one of the prelims or the challenge the weekend before. That's not an issue for them. And the people who are going to innovate are going to innovate no matter what. Like, you know, your your Bob Huangs and your uh, Daniel Gottschalls and people of that ilk are going to figure out what the best list for the deck they're playing is and play it and probably publish it to Twitter or Patreon or whatever for people to have access to it. Um, two weeks is two weeks is a world of time in, in Internet age. So Brian yeah. and I run in a similar circle and we have this friend, Ryan Walagora, who won the PTQ last week and the week before won the Honorog 1.5 care or whatever it was with blue red delver and ryan is someone who i like to think of ryan as the guy who likes to run neoform and ryan loves silly combo decks just like i do except ryan listens to jarvis when jarvis tells him ryan you're good enough to just win with blue red delver and ryan just picks up blue red delver and wins back-to-back -back events that could be you it could be all of us if we were just willing to play the blue red delver deck so honest advice listen to phil listen to jarvis just pick up your ragavans and play them in spike yep that is the case uh when i was staying with jarvis for the legacy pit which is now ancient history but 
I, we were talking about deck choices and he was like, you're probably on Bant, right? I was like, yeah, I have some some spice, but yeah. And he was like, I'll probably just play blue red. That's that shell is just heinously broken and it would be hard to justify anything else. And he did end up on lands, which is the second most played deck in Legacy, which is really good against Delver. So he he made a meta call based on Delver being heinously broken, even though he didn't play it himself. And a Delver is an easy deck to win with. Like, the ceiling for Delver Mastery is extremely high, but if you just want to kill people with Merktide Regent, it's not hard. I can do it, and I don't have a lot of hours under my belt casting cantrips successfully and, and things of that nature. Like, big dumb Merktide Regent spirals the game out of control in two attack steps. Like, your opponent is dead. Ragavan on the play. Pretty busted. There's a lot of free wins that you don't have to work too hard for. Free wins are real good in Legacy, by the way. Take them when you can get them. That's oh, true. Oh, really? Tell me more about this, Phil. Well, you see, I'm a Death and Taxes player, so I hardly know what they are, so I'm probably not qualified to talk about them. Phil's never had a free win in his life. He works hard for everything. Do you know how many uh, times I've conceded to turn one Trinosphere? He's definitely gotten some. Okay, yeah, like, that's fair. Usually just not playing Death and Taxes, though. There's... Yeah, he is also a, a Karn daddy. Until we get to turn eight, don't don't talk to me about actually winning the game. Yeah, I'm still stabilizing. I'm still hitting land drops. Field of the Dead is my only win condition. You better relax over there. So I've decided that I'm probably going to play in. Uh, the two of you talked about it, but I'm probably going to try to Iron Man all six if I'm able to. But I'm not excited about it. Like, I'm going to just because it's content that I can create, you know, and we're all content creators here. But last year, I was so excited I was shaking. This year, I'm just like, eh. Like, I just don't have that drive right now. Maybe it'll come once the event's closer, but not feeling it. Yeah, last year, I, I had the joy of an excited Magic player. Like, I was really trying to learn the ins and out of Vintage. I was active in Discord communities. I was PMing people, uh, you know, asking questions, watching videos, trying to learn. And this year, I'm like, ah, yeah, if the weekend looks free... Um, uh, maybe I'll play one of these. I don't know. I've got D&D. There's Thanksgiving. Question yeah, for the last... two of you. Last year, I played the Friday night with the Epic Storm. And I think the second one was at 3 a.m. And I was like, you know what? I don't care about this one. I'm probably not going to play it well anyway. I'll play Snow. Well, that was the wrong deck to play with not a lot of sleep. I just played terribly, scrubbed out, and went to bed. I want to play not the Epic Storm in one of these. Would you recommend that I just, you know, Dark Ritual, Rite of Flame it up in all of them? Or should I uh, go to the dark side and just play the Red Monkey? You remember last year when Brian entered? I was just going to uh, say. Like playing like fucking Maverick or some shit and then immediately regretted it and felt like he had wasted one of his entries? Just saying. Yeah, yeah last year, I was just going to tell this story. I queued up with Abzan Maverick in one of them. Not I wasn't like trying to make a statement. I had played it on the channel recently. I thought it was well positioned and I think the deck was fine, but I made some mistakes that a Maverick player wouldn't have made and lost because of them. And then I played something else on the, the next day because I was just being kind of obstinate about not playing Snow. And then the third day I just made like 
an eight no run and then lost back to back winning ins or something uh, with snow. And I was like, oh, why didn't I just do this three times? This is so stupid. I would have broke through on one of them. And and then for the next weekend vintage, I did play the deck that I thought was the best, which was Rug Xerox for all three events. And I top aided. I, I had one. I had a top 16 and a top eight out of three showings. And the other one was like a seven oh lose, lose, lose as well. Uh, to miss top eight like i i just play the deck that you think is the best and do it three times especially especially since your win percentage with your newest build of storm has been very good has has that trend continued yeah the deck's amazing uh five colors just too good but also like you should definitely listen to brian because i'm pretty sure brian has the most eternal weekend top eights at this point so listen to the master I wasn't going to bring this up on my own, but since Brian said it, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, this does tie into what we were saying earlier, where like last year, we, uh, we were like so excited, we're shaking like last year, early, t- like late 2019 into the mid 2020, I was on a, a pro tour run. It was like the only time in my career I've strung together multiple pro tour qualifications and I was really testing standard a lot. I was playing a lot of arena and it just wasn't the magic that I liked playing, but it was really important and I was going to put in my best. And then my pro tour run came to an end. And then like a month and a half later was eternal weekend. And I had people messaging me like uh, the magic pros I tested with, like uh, Mark Jacobson and like Tommy Ashton and Alan Wu. Like these guys were like messaging me. They're like, dude, your excitement for these eternal formats is palpable. Like I was just tweeting constantly about eternal week and how hyped I was and like all this shit. And I felt it. I was like a little kid. Like, I can't wait to get in these events. And I've top aided five eternal weekends in the last four years with a win and three finals appearances. Uh, Pretty good. Rating. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Um, Last year I passed Rich Shea. He was the only other person with four top eights and I have five. Um, I have a win and Rich doesn't. So I, I've, I've beat the only person who was close on top eight rates. Roland Chang has two wins, though, over the history. He has one legacy and one vintage. Uh, yet not th- so. Not the same Roland, format, but Roland won legacy in two thousand. He won vintage in two thousand five, and then he won legacy in either two thousand four or two thousand six. And like there was one day where he was the champion of both because the other event hadn't fired yet. So uh, Roland has two paintings. There's one other person who has two paintings. Somebody who won one of the online ones last year already had a live painting. I've, I don't know who they are, though. But uh, there's a couple of people with two paintings. But uh, according to Mike Noble, who is the Eternal Weekend historian, uh, I, I am the the EW GOAT performer of all time. And that is one of the things I wrote down here. Like, th- this is tied to my brand. Like, I started streaming right before I won Vintage Champs. Like, the, my first live video content effort was like leading up to vintage or eternal weekend that year and i won vintage champs and that was just a giant springboard into like stream views and stuff which is like hey come play vintage with the vintage champ and it's really important to me and i've top eight five of these things in a row now and i'm just like not even going to show up to at least a third of these events that i could be playing in i do think it's a little bit weird when we think about magic online and how this current season, Wizards decided to get rid of Vintage. Not There's nothing wrong with Vintage. I love Vintage. I haven't played in a Vintage Challenge since they got rid of uh, the Vintage Showcase. So what happened is Wizards announced 
hey, we're getting rid of the vintage showcase, and I think the prelims, or maybe they got rid of the popper prelims, it was one of those things. But they definitely got rid of the vintage showcase. It seems weird to do that when you're leading into Eternal Weekend. Because, like, the challenge numbers for vintage have been down. I know that I haven't played in it, and if you look at the numbers, they're really small. They're like 35, 45 people now for these vintage challenges. And it just seems like you'd want to align the stuff up to build up your events to be full of excitement and the maximum potential. But instead, they just clip vintage right before Eternal Weekend. I'm actually really excited to play vintage because I don't play it as much as I should. And the format's great right now. Yeah, vintage rules. Um, I think the important thing that I always try to bring us back around on when, or not just us, but the legacy and vintage communities and popper communities as well, is the sense of perspective where Eternal Weekend is our Super Bowl. That's our Magic World Championships for the year. But it's just some like fucking thing that Watsi does. They're just like, Ugh, I guess we we can put that online. That was fine last year. Like they they don't actually care that much. And if you leave the entrenched legacy and vintage communities, uh I there was a in 2019, there was a Star City event like two weeks before uh, Eternal Weekend that was live in Pittsburgh. And I, I was asking all the, the grinders there, like, hey, am I going to see you at Eternal Weekend? And they were just like, nah, <laughs> that's a weekend off for us. Like, that that's not a real tournament, basically, was was their view. Because it doesn't feed anything. It, it It's just like, if you're not an entrenched legacy and vintage player, it's really pretty meaningless, which doesn't detract from its value to us it is important to us and that means something but uh, this like big picture spanning months plan of like you should be running more vintage prelims to hype for eternal weekend like nobody at watsi's thinking that i promise but don't you think that they should have someone working there that's thinking big picture like i, I imagine they do but i'm just saying like someone's job should, at magic or wizards or whatever should be okay we have these events planned how can we maximize the potential for the, and it's some, they don't have to care about popper or legacy or vintage, but just think, Hey, we want to get the most numbers we can here. How can we efficiently do this? It's just like, someone should be thinking about this rather than just like throwing darts at the wall and going out to lunch. I think they've tried a lot of things. Like they have been trying lots of things on, on arena and with their mythic championships and the, I don't know, whatever the fucking group of 16 players or rivals, what, whatever they've been doing that I don't care about. Um, they've been trying to do things to build up hype uh, to mixed potential. Um, but I think the portion of the crowd that they're currently trying to appeal to has nothing to do with the like legacy vintage popper scenes that are very, very small in the in the big picture. He doesn't. Yeah, I was just going to gonna say like the. We're we're talking about someone whose job it is to hype events. The Magic Pro League that Phil just mentioned that he said has 16 players in it, and I would have said has 32 players in it, but it's actually 24 because I just Googled it. <laughs> uh, can, can either of you confidently name five of those people? Like 24. Like you can miss on 19 of them. Uh, can you confidently for sure this pro is in the MPL? Um, for five names. Hmm. I, I am aware that there is a Japanese person that is constantly mistaken for another Japanese person, and that's really bad for PR. Otherwise, I would just be guessing people that might be in it, you know. How, how about a Brad Nelson? Do we have a Brad Nelson? Probably. 
though. Yeah, yeah, it appears so. Uh, Got but one. Yeah, and there's like a bunch of things like, uh, oh, Luis Scott Vargas, he's definitely in. No, he's not. He was a rival or whatever. Like, what the fuck is rivals? What's the Challenger League? What what do they play? This is Magic's brand flagship. If they want to make anyone care about anything, it's this. This is where all their resources are, and they failed miserably. So the idea that anyone is has like a master plan to build up hype for a turtle weekend is... Uh, it, it's just it's not happening i promise well i think that goes back to the marketing department if i'm being honest because like clearly the people that are like i work in marketing if people aren't excited about your flagship thing that means either your flagship thing is bad or you're marketing it wrong and yes. he doesn't listen to our podcast but cedric phillips give <laughs> this that is guy exactly more responsibility. the person i was thinking he is of. so good i love cedric i read it like he doesn't give a shit that i like all of his tweets he's amazing and he just has a really good idea for how to pitch things and he does it very well and the people at wizards are just clueless and like i don't know if they're not paying people enough to lure in these people that actually know what they're doing but like you want more people like cedric pushing the narrative of your game and they're just not doing it yeah cedric had a great tweet like right when the mpl was like wrapping up or failing or something was going on where he basically said Wizards of the Coast couldn't make anyone care about Pro Magic. I made everyone care about Kevin Jones. And it's like, you're right. Why should anyone care about Kevin Jones? And but we did. Like at like Cedric and his promoting and his vision for the SCG tour, like the way that they take like the SCG tour is really good at like, hey, you've showed up to like the last six of these. I've noticed you top eight two of them. Who are you? Let's work together. I'll help you build your brand. You attach your brand to us. Like Let's do this together and I'll build a story around you. You just keep showing up sort of like those conversations are happening. Like if they get three or four top eights in a season, it's like, hey, write some articles for us. Like, let's really get people excited about this. And I'm sure there's a lot more going on that I don't even know about. But yeah, Cedric is like building narratives. He's not just casting tournaments, which is what Wizards of the Coast is doing right now in a way that sucks. I like how this went from like Eternal Weekend sucks to here's everything Wizards is doing wrong about MPL. <laughs> Old man I mean, yells from front porch. Yeah, but I in I did like a small amount of research for this episode that I don't think we're gonna end up using any of the notes that I that I dug up. I don't I don't care, but like I I tried just tried to look for like what year Eternal Weekend broke off from Gen Con and became its own thing, and I found coverage archive. Like, Wizards of the Coast, Mothership, Main Page, Eternal Weekend Coverage Archive. Like, video coverage, they had their text people on the floor, there were pictures, like the old Pro Tour GP Mothership coverage that we used to get. There's that for several years of Eternal Weekends. There's stories, like, that's like, uh, like, one one of the little articles I looked at was like, nobody's ever won Vintage Champs twice, but there's eight returning champions in the room today, and it, like, did a little interview with each of them, and it's like, that rules. Like, that's what I want. I I don't care about, like, the MPL at all compared to, like, is someone going to repeat Vintage Champ? Like, that that rules. Like, those stories are better than whatever. The, I don't know. So two things. You mentioned Eternal Weekend formerly being at Gen Con. I never went to those just because they're super far away from Syracuse. But I remember hearing from someone that I know that went that there was one year where people dressed up as judges to do deck checks and stole decks 
and Dave Williams got his vintage deck stolen, and I was like, I am never bringing TES there. It means too much to me. Uh, so, like, that terrified me. And the second thing is, Brian just rolled his eyes, but... No, I, I didn't. I was I was just thinking, because I, I was not rolling my eyes at you. Uh, I was just remembering all of... I never went to Gen Con myself. I don't care about non-magic enough to go to a game convention like that, and their magic events aren't good enough to get me there on the strength of magic alone, so I just don't go. But Rich Shea, uh, dear friend, the doctor, he always went, and they, those guys came back with stories. Like, Rich had a binder stolen, just like some, he was just like in the middle of a trade, interacting with one person, and someone else just walked behind him and took a binder and kept walking. And there was a camera footage of it. Like, there was a camera in the hall, and Rich, like, stood there with security. It was like, look, there, it was that kind of heavy white guy in a hoodie and it's like good fucking luck this is gen con that's everyone here and uh apparently people were uh i wasn't there but the people in rich's car were like bro it's gone you got to give it up like hours after they were supposed to leave on sunday and he was just still trying to talk to the security guards to get his thing back it's like it's gone man and I had heard other stories of just really some of the most brazen magic thievery that I've heard of, of just people like just run up, grab a fistful of cards off the table at Vintage Champs and keep running. It's like they're gone into the crowd. What are you going to do? Like leave your other 56 cards there to chase the four that they just grabbed? Like what if there's someone else waiting to grab the other pile? Like at, they they have a running start. You're sitting with your backpack hooked around your leg. Like they're just gone. Like they're That sort of shit. Uh, which I really appreciate. Eternal Weekend, actual like standalone Eternal Weekend, was the first event I ever went to, where they had the security at the door and they did the like uh, matching wristband on your bag, check that you own everything that you're carrying before you leave the hall. So, uh, Eternal Weekend, Nick Cost, Card Titan, they take that very seriously, and shout out to them for that. All right, I I think I need to defend Gen Con's honor real quick. Uh oh, I I have been to Gen Con. Um, I, I went twice. Gen Con kicks ass. It is an awesome nerd event. Um, I did so much magic, so much board gaming. Um, they had other forms of entertainment there as well. I think I did like some sort of like random like comedy performance as well. Like I, I just went there, tested out some games. Like I have a game that I got the playtest version of because me and my buddies loved it so much. We just came back to the guy who made it. And we're like, dude, we love your playtest game. We want it. How can we make this work out? And I am in the, like, I am credited as a playtester for that game because, like, I met that person at Gen Con and we did a bunch of correspondence afterwards. And they had magic events firing, you know, every hour on the hour or something like that. So you just had huge flexibilities to just pop in and play an event whenever you wanted like horror stories aside and people suck like we all know that like it was an awesome place to be i i enjoyed it i would happily go back again yeah my i do have the the wider group of gamer friends not necessarily magic exclusive as i am but they do make the trek every year and they come back with like thousands of dollars of new unreleased board games in their trunk and is play test new games like you talked about and that's all awesome like i'm not trying to, to track gen con but just the 
Bryant mentioned the stealing, so we we got on there. I've right, never so, felt like such a kid in a candy store. Yeah, fuck off, Bryant. I'm talking about Gen Con. You will not Gen speak great. again in this podcast. Turn your mic off. Yeah, anyway, I've never felt like such a kid in a candy store as the first time I walked in the Gen Con dealer room, which is just this just like massive, like, it takes you 10 minutes to walk across the entire thing, just set of vendors. It's It's a thing of beauty. Are you done, Phil? I mean, I can keep going if we need to keep you from talking, but, you know. All right. Brian lives in Pittsburgh, which is where when they got rid of Eternal Weekend being at Gen Con, they moved to Pittsburgh. So it was in Brian. They moved to Philly for three years. Oh, was it? And then they came to Pittsburgh. Okay. My bad. Regardless, Pennsylvania, all the same place. Same thing. P- Philadelphia is five and a half hours from I'm me. Aware. Just <laughs> FYI. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Brian has gone to a bunch of them. I've only gone to one, and I believe it was 2016. It was a terrible experience, if I'm being honest. Um, there's like n- the location. There wasn't any like food or anything there. You had to walk a really long time to get water because like there was no like water fountains or anything. And it was really, really understaffed the year I went to the point where like every round went like 50 minutes over. Maybe it was 2017 because top had been banned and we were all like top's gone. Why is it taking this long? And it was just like a pretty bad experience to the point where like the next year I was like, I'm not going. That event was so poor. I'm not going right now. I would drive 10 hours to go to that eternal weekend uh, just to do it all over because I am so desperate to play paper legacy. And that's what I want to do. And I realized that now looking back, I was super ungrateful for any large legacy event. Yeah. So into that, I, I used to drive really far for any, any reasonable legacy event. Like when I was living in Roanoke, I would make a weekend trip to Baltimore or Philly in a heartbeat to play in a legacy event. Um, I don't know how many eternal extravaganzas I played in. That wasn't a particularly huge event, but like I loved them and they had sweet play mats every year. So like I would absolutely go to those jet down to Atlanta to play a legacy event. Sure. There's like a 1K couple hours away. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's get in the car and go. We can find good food while we're there. You're also centrally located for what it's worth. It's really easy for you to drive to philly or pittsburgh or whatever from syracuse it's eight nine hours to pittsburgh like it's not a short drive if i want to go to dc that's seven and a half hours like i have to make a commitment to go i know how you feel because that's how i feel anytime anyone asks me are you going to scg syracuse and i say no that's so far away i don't blame you either although now you would have a free place to stay dope uh yeah i'm going to syracuse probably not still but maybe Phil, mentioning Eternal Extravaganza got me really exciting. Those were uh, run by Tales of Adventure. Michael Caffrey, shout out. I don't know if you listen to this pod or not, but I know he follows some of my other content and my Twitter stuff. He's hooked me up with a a lot of great stuff lately. Um, But those tournaments were gas. I won 30 Duel Lands. I split the finals of a, uh, a tournament. One of them was the winner gets 40 duels, second gets 20. And I chopped the finals that I just left with 30 dual lands. That was so fucking insane. I wish I missed those tournaments. never moved them out of his own store because his store fit 300 people. But then obviously you want to expand on that. But then people quit showing once he started renting out convention centers, uh, which, you know, burns. The best one was the one in the uh, the like barn. Were you at that oh, one? that one there was, was th- miserable. It was so hot. No, that was easily the best one. W- was wrong. that like the antique mall thing? Yes. Yeah, it, it yeah. was like an antique mall flea market with like a barn at the end, like 
the doors to the convention room to the tournament room were literally hanging sheets of plastic that you had to push through. But that was dope. I, I had so much fun at that one that that just felt like I mean, obviously, there's some warts, but that's part of the charm. All right. So like, I, was I would like to paint a right picture there. real quick. So <laughs> it's roughly 95 degrees outside. You're in this. I'm going to use what Brian says, barn. That is actually just a metal shed. You were in an oven cooking for nine and a half hours. There is. So Sam Rook has had his winning in and his opponent in the middle of the match just goes, I can't take this anymore and left. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a tournaments are a marathon. You have to maintain your mental and physical stamina if you want to top eight that thing. So that person couldn't hack it. I, I like the, the additional layer of competition. Uh, but seriously, I don't remember it being that hot. I remember I had a session with a physical trainer like two days before that, which is not a thing that I've really done in my life. I think it was the first session with a physical trainer uh, easily, like probably in 10 years. And I remember my inner thighs completely destroyed from that session and limping around like a hundred year old man during that entire tournament, like everything hurt to move and just like shuffling my busted leg muscles up the cattle ramp that got you out of the the tournament hall and over to the food vendor like i I just remember and like the bathroom was like kind of far down the hall in the antique mall and i was just like shuffling my busted legs to get there and and yeah and then like one of the bathrooms randomly closed in the middle of the event so it was like hard to find a place to pee in the later (laughs) rounds uh great i don't know if the two of you went up there but there was a wrestling hall of fame Oh, yeah, that was fucking wild. It was just somebody's, like, personal collection of, like, wrestling memorabilia that they had bought and wanted to show off. I was like, this is dope. Yeah, and one of the, the, like, flea market antique stalls had magic cards in, in, like, repacks. It was, like, a dollar for, like, 20 cards or whatever, and, you know, like, guaranteed at least one rare. Chris Stagno and I pack-word a bunch of those. That was great. Was this also the event where the pairings were, like, taped to a forklift? I don't Probably. remember that. That sounds right. So I do this thing at every event where if I'm going to it, I take a, I take a few photos of the room for like article photos. So like you want to post like, hey, I was at this event. Here's an image of the tournament hall or whatever. Well, I was going through, I was on a Discord call with some people and I was going through one and Tom Hep goes, why do you have a photo of my face? And I was like, what? Sure enough, I zoom in. It's just like Tom eating something out of a bag, like Tom mid-bite. And he's just like, I would like you to delete that. And I was like, I'm definitely not deleting it now. Yeah, you have to lock that in. Anyway, the moral of the story, Michael Caffrey, if you're listening, please reopen it external eternal extravaganza as soon as it's safe to do so and responsible. I actually asked him about that like probably two years ago. And he was like, I just had to get my business right before I started giving away more money, basically. Also, one <laughs> one more story. Eternal extravaganza gave out t-shirts for the first couple times they ran it and i wore my eternal extravaganza one of my shirts to play ba- pickup basketball one day at the park and some random guy was like eternal extravaganza is that like heaven and i was like yeah basically <laughs> i like that there was one the one that was in philly my car overheated on the way down and some guy on a motorcycle went and like bought me fluid to put in it came back like fixed my car got me to philly and then, like, my car made it all the way home. But then, like, the year 
following that just like random pieces of my car quit working from that one overheating like uh, at one point the whatever wire is connected from your engine to your ignition that wire fried and eventually just like broke off because of that one instance i was like that one event ruined my fucking year uh not caffrey's fault but just like my car that one trip just couldn't hang yeah i'm sure your car was in perfect working condition before that trip too yeah it was completely fine yeah it all happened on that trip yeah paper paper magic it's a it's a hell of a drug you guys miss those days yeah i hope that this episode so far has functioned as just like jogging some memories of paper magic and getting excited for more uh the online eternal bleak end might be coming but eternal weekend hype in the future will will come up again um hopefully they keep holding them in pittsburgh hopefully they come back hopefully uh covid doesn't keep mutating and people get the vaccines they're supposed to get and we don't just never have paper magic again well all of those things are fingers crossed so we can have more stories about bryant's car breaking or just being in a hot barn or people literally can't take the physical heat and drop their their winning in match like all of those sort of things those are those are good memories also uh shout out to robert wilson who's throwing the buffalo chicken dip legacy tournament that's very awesome of robert although robert keeps on messaging me going like oh so you're gonna make it i'm like once again i'm not driving to columbus ohio it's like 11 hours from syracuse i'm sorry robert you're beautiful i gave you a plug yeah, Columbus, Ohio is great. The last time I was there, I uh, walked into my hotel and a police officer was there uh, telling the manager he had to hire security guards to fix his prostitution problem. So I have uh, very fond memories of Columbus, basically. Sounds like a good night. The first time I was ever in Columbus, I have a directly related story to this. Uh, I was living in central PA. Uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus are just like three hours apart, basically neighbors. So I'm there all the time now, but from central pa it's like six hours and uh we were there for the legacy gp uh that happened there at whenever that was and we were in our hotel the night before the tournament and just doing some late night testing and this skeezy looking guy wearing like a shiny v-neck shirt and he was not i would not call him classically attractive if i had to rank him uh he was a skeezy looking kind of guy you would avoid in the club but he had six women with him just like three on each arm like a movie and just walked in went up to the front desk and was like do you rent rooms by the hour and they were like yes we do and he was like great i'll take one and then all seven of them went upstairs and i was like okay (laughs) that was an experience good for him i wonder how much that's costing yeah, so magic is all about the gathering. That's the <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That guy's playing Pokemon. He's gotta catch them all. And by them I mean STDs. Alright, so we're just fully fucking off the rails now. What else do we have to throw at the uh the ear holes of our listeners? Alright, we we got some options here. We could talk a little bit we can try to get back on the rails and just talk about vintage a little bit and how cool vintage is. Because that section of Eternal Weekend is still hype. Like, there's nothing bleak about it, just dope. We could delve into actual band talk, though I I don't really want to. Yeah, that's boring. 
Yep. All right, cool. Yeah, that, that's been said. Yeah, thro- um, throw a dart at a board and, like, ban three cards from Delver. Call it a day. <laughs> Just spread Delver out over the, the dartboard. Throw three darts. They're going to ban, like, they'll end up banning, like, Scalding Tarn, Steam Vents, <laughs> and, like, some random shit. Fuck. Unholy Heat. <laughs> yeah, damn it, we missed. So I do remember last year's vintage section of Eternal Weekend not following MTG Goldfish in the slightest. Uh, the two decks for Goldfish last year, the two big ones were Shops and Jeskai Xerox. Those were like the two decks on the top and everything else was like kind of a smaller role player. And if you played in the events, it was like nothing but like Bizarre and Bug. And then Brian on... He, Brian was like one of... The first day, Brian was the only person on Teamer Xerox or whatever you like to call it, Rug Xerox. And by day three, it was like 25% of the field because Brian was doing so well. <laughs> Oh yeah, my god, I, the uh, the adjustment overnight in the metagames last year between these events was fucking wild and was so amazing to watch. Yeah, because the, the first two, it was like, on East Coast time anyway, it was like Friday night, like 9 or 10 p.m. the first one started. The next one fired Saturday morning at like 5 a.m. There was like 30 minute turnaround time for the top eight. And then the next one was a full day later, like Sunday afternoon. So there was like people on Twitter switching their decks or whatever in between Friday and Saturday's event, like on the fly. I got 20 minutes. I got a God account. Let's go. And then by Sunday, it was like, okay, we have two giant event results. And the best performing deck was Rug Xerox. Let me just jam that one in. And Mike Noble was out there putting ideas of bizarre in everyone's head uh montolio was hello also, <laughs> i yeah i got yeah, a phil lot was of involved influence in that from those train. two people yep yeah phil was putting out bizarre content phil played bizarre in those events uh mike noble was working on all sorts of lists uh yep montolio uh former vintage champs champ known chops god but also likes himself a hollow one from time to time yeah, those bizarre decks were were everywhere, and they were also match- very, very good. They still are. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to play in. Okay, that so that tingling that we mentioned isn't there for Legacy. I'm getting it right now during this conversation. Like, so hype! I will. I I'm actually hosting Thanksgiving, so I'm gonna have like family in from out of town. I will put my grandma to bed and be like, Grandma, it's time for bed. I'm going to go play vintage now. Good night. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready uh, to just play all three of these like a fucking degen. Uh, I probably don't have the stamina to record them. Certainly not all three of them, but I, I am excited to do this now. Well, yeah. people are going to see Bryant and his PJs glasses and a baseball hat because like, I'm probably going to record these fairly comfortably, but Brian, traditionally you like yourself a paradoxical outcome. I don't know how, recently you've played vintage other than the 2k you played in but right now in vintage there's like three po-esque decks there's actual po there's the blue tinker deck which is just what i prefer it's essentially po without po and max opal and then there's the eight cast deck that is actually pretty similar to po it's essentially mono blue po um so there's like three of these decks and they're all in like the top five to six best decks in the format do you have any advice for anyone on like picking their flavor of PO? Okay, so what I will say is that the actual paradoxical outcome with paradoxical outcome lists 
will dumpster the people who don't have force of will a lot of the time uh or well now they have force of vigor also which is one you have to watch out for but like the mishra's workshop matchup like po was the blue deck after decades of failing po was finally a blue deck that could consistently beat shops had a good shops matchup and po can actually race dredge even if you don't have dredge hate in the main uh, that deck is strong enough to overpower dredge in game one and then you get your hate it but it's terrible against decks with flusterstorm and red blast in them or collector oof or null rod so you can move closer to the fair spectrum and like cut your POs, like the actual card paradoxical outcome, and start playing more reasonable one for one on rate cards that don't take as much setup. And that hedges against the flusterstorms, the pyroblasts, the null rods, etc. And but then you start getting worse against shops because your plan is slower. And there's just sort of this spectrum you can work up and down depending on what you want to beat and what you expect. And I think that sub-game in the Vintage metagame is just fucking delightful. Yeah, I actually like it quite a bit. The 8-cast deck, Brian, I think it's like uh, more of the speed. It's more like you're playing Blue Belcher. Yeah. PO is probably the middle, and then Blue Tinker is probably the slower, more controlling one. Yeah, I I did record a Vintage League with the blue-black, straight blue-black PO, and that was the deck that I also won the the local event with. And I played against Montolio, who was on the mono blue eight cast deck in the the finals of that tournament, and I won, but it was scary. That that deck did seem really impressive. Yeah, vintage is just great. Like I am looking forward to playing vintage three times for sure. It's such an intricate format. Like you, I think from the outside, people think like. There's going to be so many just turn one victories and things are just over without interaction. But a lot of my vintage games when I was like really trying to learn the format last year were decided by these like super tiny would be insignificant to not to not even matter in a lot of format decisions. And then it was like, oh, I chose to use this force of vigor in the wrong step of the turn. So I didn't play around some niche card and I got super punished for it. Or, oh, I didn't play around a ravenous trap when I had the opportunity to do so. And I lost a game because of it. There's so much depth to vintage. I, I adore yeah, these, it. These little things like when you bizarre, make sure there's a root wallet in your discard three so you don't turn on ravenous trap because the madness card never actually goes to the graveyard and there's only two there or like sequencing in paradoxical outcome going like uh land soul ring mox past the turn even though you could have tinkered right now to play around mind break trap and then like next turn you can tinker with fluster back up and they can't mind break trap because you only cast one spell and like just but then other times you have to dumpster it's like giving them the turn as the null rod and then i won't get to tinker and you have to like navigate who's doing what or like if i pass priority right now i'm gonna get force of vigored and then i'll never tinker and just like these it is a very intimidating like different kind of thing because there's so many free spells and there's so many spells that do in the game effectively if they resolve but there's a really intricate dance to getting there and i i think i said this last year when we were doing our vintage hype episode but i think it was steven menendian in an old so many insane plays article on star city 
described vintage as like an anime showdown where like the the two characters who have been like dancing around each other all season finally square off in the final episode and they spend like 18 minutes just like looking at each other talking planning like their moves and counter moves in their head and like just they just have their hand on the sword and then there's just like a flash of light and they're on opposite sides of the field and then one of them falls over dead and then like that's kind of what vintage feels like there's just so much gameplay and just how you sequence your your development and then like deck building sideboarding but and the game might be over in a flash of light but what you did to prep for that flash of light matters so much oh i love it i have two points to make here one i love that you use tinker for your example because it is it is literally my favorite card in vintage like when i bought my japanese foil one i was so excited that it was signed like it is one of the my favorite cards that i own i love tinker so much it is vintage magic to me like it makes me so happy and the second thing is phil was describing this intricacy about playing vintage and having you do everything in the proper step which is super fun but phil i'm gonna sound like a jerk here it is also why i don't like recording vintage for the channel i recorded a video two weeks ago it took me three hours and 40 minutes to record (laughs) you know guess what it was edited down because we use the same software probably like an hour 45 hour 15 oh damn vintage players play so glacially slow that i have to hide how angry i am when i'm recording because like (laughs) i have to sit there and wait for them five minutes to decide what the sequence of the mocks and they want to cast and i understand that it's required for playing vintage but it makes creating content for it very difficult and shout out to justin ganari because he does it with a smile on his face it sucks well to be fair he's also streaming so he can just bullshit with people while people tank that helps a lot it just takes so long to play a vintage league because everyone's so deep in the tank about everything they have to play around and it's their prerogative and they should be doing that but from my perspective it stinks this is where brian tells me i'm wrong no i'm totally in on that and the viewers can't see this but phil and brian can one of my cats has decided to arrive on my lap and purr and rub his face on the microphone i don't know if any of it was picked up but big boy also if you have if you are a legacy player and you are thinking about playing in vintage eternal weekend i highly encourage you to do so the skills that you've cultivated as a legacy player will treat you very well in vintage so for example as like a primarily non-blue legacy player i transitioned over very very well to learning shops and learning like bizarre decks like the skills that i needed like they they were already there for me and i actually had an absolutely absurd vintage win percentage i don't remember what it was but it was it was close to 80 percent going into eternal weekend um and i think by the end of eternal weekend it was still in the high 70s like i I put up a reasonable eternal weekend showing for someone who had been playing vintage for three weeks for what it's worth playing doomsday in vintage super easy your piles just like they're not difficult it's Okay, put Gusher Ancestral on top. Okay, draw Black Lotus, Oracle with Fluster back up your dead. Like, they're just so much easier in Vintage than they are in Legacy. And you have Demonic Consultation in the deck, too, for, like, the full backdoor. Like, Vintage Doomsday is hot. If you have Legacy Doomsday skills, you'll find Vintage to be a cakewalk. Um, Another thing that I I say a lot, and I say with love, because I know it might be controversial to certain people, but Vintage players are bad. They're so bad. Um, I think the online version 
mitigates that a little bit because anyone in the world can join. Everyone gets a god account. You're going to get good players who just want to play high quality magic. But the Eternal Weakland field, the intersection of people who own power, because it's a zero proxy event, and are willing to drive to go play vintage to show up in Pittsburgh from wherever they're from, the the overlap of people who are actually any good at magic is pretty small. And I, I think that if you show up with good fundamentals, um, the guy I lost to, uh, Boston Shadowman, I think is his name. Uh, the one I lost to when I made top eight one year, he ended up losing in the finals. He had, I don't think had ever played vintage before. He was just a legacy player. He was playing Jeskai Xerox. He's like, yeah, I know how Flusterstorm and Cantripping works. I know how Teferi Time Raveler works. Narset's pretty good, huh? And he just like coasted to the the finals of vintage champs and if you have strong magic fundamentals uh, you will have a leg up on a lot of these people who <laughs> don't have those things i wasn't going to say brian i'm glad you did i don't give a shit yeah. come at me my good win rate in vintage wasn't because i was a vintage expert it was because i had amazing fundamentals and learned from my mistakes pretty quickly i remember the year that i won vintage champs i Rewatched the coverage later uh, because I, I like to see what the, the chat and the commentators were saying about my match, if they saw anything I didn't and stuff. And there was like a multi-turn sequence where I was like POing through an energy flux where like each upkeep, I was like, spin my top, draw a card with top in response to the spin, PO in my upkeep to pick up my cards so I don't have to pay for the energy flux, redeploy past the turn. And I was doing it all with Flusterstorm backup, and Randy Bueller was just on uh, casting the the match, just like, why isn't he just jamming? I don't understand. He could have won by now, Bob. And it's like, I'm holding up Flusterstorm, man. Like I'm playing against a blue deck. Like, uh, like I I don't know if my opponent had a counter spell, but I could beat it. Why not play around it? And a, a lot of vintage players like to jam, and. There is a space for jamming, but I've found that I am significantly more conservative than the average vintage player, and I also tend to beat the average vintage player. So take what you want with that information. Brian might agree with this, but there's usually like two camps you put people into that play magic. There's people that are competitive and people that like dragons. Well, for vintage, the people that like dragons are the same people that would love to play Library of Alexandria. Like if you see a library in your opponent's deck, you know they're there to have fun. Like, they might not be there to win, but Library is, like, their card. Yeah, Library is a, kind of an embarrassing magic card, even, like, which is weird because it was one of the best magic cards ever uh, for the first 15 years the game existed, but it barely keeps up with fire design anymore. Like, you don't really get to just hang out with seven cards in your hand. So if I have an opponent who's just like, Library, go, I'm like, fuck yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun here. <laughs> How many Moxen can you answer this turn? Let's go. Uh, but... Yeah, the the like people who want to win and people who play dragons. Um, there are lots of strong players who play vintage, but my experience is that among people who are an expressed like I'm a vintage person, uh, the the play skill is lower than the average SCG grinder by a lot. Damn, shots fired. Also, vintage is a really fun format to just fuck around and do stupid shit in because you can do stupid shit so quickly. I, I am not going to sit here and tell you that playing Vintage Hate Bears is probably good for your, like, play points or EV or whatever, but, like, 
damn if it isn't fun to play like Athalia and an Arbiter on turn one or like an Archon of Ameria and a Null Rod on turn one or some shit like that and Good just like fell. watch people die. <laughs> yeah, Phil, Phil has been deleted from the podcast. This <laughs> is his last episode with us. Everyone wish him well. <laughs> I can't wait for somebody to listen to this episode and then promptly just like screenshot one of us not doing well in the event and be like, I thought vintage players were bad. <sighs> I thank that person for the engagement. Please make sure to leave that comment on my YouTube channel. I will also link them to my Patreon if they're interested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of which, uh, lately I seem to have attracted the anti-MTGO crowd to my youtube comments which is just the weirdest thing where it's like all of my content is on magic online and what are you doing showing up in my comments like mtgo steals millions from players like what are you talking about does it what i I will i I don't even know what that means i do know this and like a lot of the commander crowd plays just like regular magic with like tabletop recorders or whatever Commander people are just like anti-magic online. So like maybe you've attracted the commander people and they're just like, this program's the devil. Maybe. It definitely like multiple different comments from different users that are like, wow, spent thousands of ob- dollars on objects that don't exist. It's like, I have a loan program, thanks. And I, I'm a huge proponent of loan programs in general. Shout outs to our uh, friend at Card Hoarder for enabling our shenanigans. Yeah, thanks, Card Hoarder. We love you. Two thirds of us love you. <laughs> Don't you use their Ouch. services anyway, but you're just not sponsored? Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No no free pub. Sponsor Brian before he, he endorses you publicly. Or just keep taking his money. All right. Um, do we have any uh, closing thoughts, other last topics that we want to talk about here? I don't really have much other than the fact that Phil at the beginning of this was like, well, it's going to be a short one. Yeah, then we yeah. got fucking rambling as usual and started. Yeah, we went off we went off it's okay i i like going off once in a while and i feel like we sort of outlived the title like we came in here like when i logged on to this call phil and bryant were already on it and even though i'm in a different room in a different place different state i could feel like it was a palpable misery it was just sort of like quiet and phil was like i guess let's do this uh and Bryant was in the middle of yelling about something when I logged in too. Like, uh, I, like normally if you're that passionate about something, we should save it for when we're live. But he was in the middle of yelling about something, and Phil was just like, "Oh, let's get this over with." And now we're fucking hyped for Vintage and Eternal Weekend. So I think we turned it around pretty well. Yeah, go- going down the nostalgia trip and like thinking about like Gen Con and Eternal Extravaganza and all that stuff. Like, def- definitely picked me up a little bit. I I was just, like, already on tilt at the beginning of the episode between that announcement and, like, some voter shenanigans that happened today. Like, I got sent to the wrong place to vote. My polling location had changed three times in the last month in something that looks extremely shady to me. So, yikes. Yeah. So I know that Doug Johnson uh, tweeted this out earlier, but I feel the same way. I hate that my polling location is a church. It really bothers me. I'm not a religious person, but I feel like I shouldn't have to go to a church to cast my vote. Uh, not that it's voter suppression, but like that's pretty close to getting me not to go vote. And you could sign up for mail-in voting and not have to go to the church. I suppose. Also, I love that my polling station is a church, but not 
just because it's a church, but because it's literally across the street from me. It's the church where I tell my friends to park when they come over to my house because they have lots of parking. And it's also my polling station. That is really convenient for me. Well, you enjoy those church bells every Sunday. Uh, They're pretty quiet. They're like the quietest church and they have an overflow lot directly across from my driveway. Nobody parks in it. And I I basically have a parking lot at my house for to host drafts and parties and shit. And it works out really well for me. So thank you, church neighbors, for being generally pretty quiet and hosting my voting area. Vintage rules. All right, folks. uh, We hope you enjoyed our series of ramblings. We'll be back again in two weeks where Eternal Weekend still hasn't quite happened yet. And we'll have to figure out what we're talking about then. We'll figure it out. We'll see you all again soon.